Well, happy Father's Day. I, th this is a day where I get to celebrate my three awesome kids. They're 7, 9, and 11 this year, and it's weird. Every year, they just move up a notch, and I just have to try to keep up with them. And what I learned, what uh, Ben shared on Mother's Day, I think is super applicable and uh, helpful for everyone who's a parent. Uh, the big idea for Mother's Day is that your kids don't really belong to you. They're just on loan from God. They belong to God, and, and you're just loaning them. And so I guess for, for me and Amy, then, we've got 15 more years of loan payments. And then we will be free and clear after that. So looking forward to that. But I know um, I'm, I'm kind of, or I'm finally in a stage of life here where I've had kids for over a decade. And so I feel like I might actually have some things of value to share with the younger dads who might be in the room. And there was one thing I learned really early on that served me well, and I think can serve some of you younger dads well also. Because when you have a younger kid, that's when they're cute. And that changes, by the way. But when they're younger, they're really cute, and people will walk up to your baby or your, your young toddler, and they'll say, oh, they're just so adorable. Look at their nose. Look at their cheeks. Look at their little toesy woesies and how adorable they are. And guys, there's, when, when that happens, there are six words you need to know. When someone comes up and gives a compliment to your baby or to your kid, all you need to do is say they got that from their mother. They got that from their mother. That's all you need to say. They got that from their mother. And if your wife is standing nearby, she'll kind of tilt her head and say, aww. And it will go well with you. It will go well with you. They got that from their mother. And if you want to make this especially clear to whoever is complimenting your, your child, your baby, you can go to the next level and add another six words and really make it clear that any good thing really comes from the mom. Here's the thing. The cute things come from, from the mother. Guys, the gas, that's you, right? Never mind. The other thing you can say is, oh, I gave them a last name. And that's all I gave them. The cute eyes, the cute nose, the toesy woesies, those came from their mother. That, that was all her. But all I did, I contributed a last name into the mix, and that's as far as I went. And anything bad, that's on me. Anything good, that's on her. And I think as fathers, we can take that, right? We can deflect the glory to the mother, and we can take on the criticism for ourselves. And maybe that's part of fatherhood. But as I thought about this, like this is kind of a way I've maybe dad-joked my way around compliments for my kids. And got that from their mother. All I did was give them a last name. And by the way, my last name is not a gift. I, I feel sorry for my kids. E-W-A-R-T is murdered all the time. It's Ewart, but I've heard everything out there. So at least my daughter can marry out of it. In 15 years. As I, as I thought about this, why is it that we always name the child after the dad? And when I say we, I don't just mean American we or English-speaking we or North American we. I mean human we. It's, it's a common tradition across the world, across the ages, to take a child and to name them the last name after the father's family line, not the mother's. And I got to thinking why. And I didn't have to dig too deep. I think a lot of this is common sense. But when it comes to this child, the, the mother, the mom, has literally been carrying this child for nine months already. She's already had that bonding time. She, and there's this motherly thing that happens. But with the father, it's like, holy cow, here's a baby. What do I do with this? 
And it's this split moment thing where everything kind of changes for him. And so I think when it comes to naming a child after the father, here's three reasons I saw or three things that come from that. Number one, the message is sent, hey dad, this is your child. This is your child. It belongs to you and you are responsible for it. And especially when you get into ancient cultures and ancient customs, this was a message that had to be ingrained into fathers back then. You can't just keep doing what you've been doing. You now have another responsibility. And along with it, hopefully you'll do this. You are expected to invest in this child, to keep this child safe, to keep it fed, to keep it thriving throughout life. And as the the father then says, wow, this is my child. It has my name on it. Hopefully, they begin to see that this is indeed something they must do. Now, maybe this is more for ancient cultures than it is for ours today. But I think the message it sends continues to be important. In the ancient world, this was important so that children could survive. Without a father and without a protector, it would very often happen that children just physically would not survive in this world. But what I found also as I dug into this is something deeper. It's not just about survival anymore. Today, it's more about thriving. When you put these two things together, what you see is that these children are more likely to thrive when a father and a mother are loving the same child. And where I want to go with this is, first of all, acknowledge the different backgrounds in this room. Uh, Some of you had great fathers, some not great fathers. Some of you are great fathers, some of you are not great fathers. Some of you will never be a father, but you feel like a father figure to someone. What I'm entrusting you to do with this message today, as we really talk about fatherhood or even parenthood in general, I entrust you to take this and contextualize it for your place in life. I will let you take the principles and apply them to how you sit. Maybe you're a father, in which case that'll be real easy. I'm going to dish it up to you, and here it is. Uh, But for some of you, I'm going to entrust you to contextualize the truths and the principles that we go through today. But the first big thing that I think you have to acknowledge when it comes to fatherhood or any of those father-type relationships you may have, but mostly in fatherhood, you see that fathers are given this great influence the moment the child is delivered. You don't even have to open up the Bible to see this. The moment a child is delivered, the father is handed this great, great influence over this child. And we could go different directions. We could look at how some fathers neglect that influence and say, I don't want it. Other fathers can use influence for for bad things, for selfish purposes. But what I want to do today is to focus in on these fathers who legitimately and honestly just want to follow Jesus through fatherhood. Being called a father is anything, is something that anyone can do. But to truly live as a father and be a father is something that God has to work in you. And this is a big topic. There's a lot of things that go along with fatherhood. There's a lot of influence, a lot of responsibility, a lot of pressure. And while the mom had to carry that weight for nine months inside of her, with fathers, this is a weight that they will carry through the rest of their lives. This influence and this responsibility they have as fathers. So much so that you could say that the pressures of being a father could easily make a father go crazy. Sometimes it happens. In one day, it can happen that a father can go crazy because of the situations. Or what can often happen, too, is that a father just gets so perplexed, so, so, so out of control, doesn't know what to do, 
that a father just says, I don't know what to do anymore with my influence. But, but what I've found is this. There are some people out there, in fact, a lot of you who I would say are happy fathers. Not just for a day a year, but legitimately you found that happy place. And I don't think this is a natural place to just wander to or drift to. But what I want to show you today is what happy fathers know. And we could turn this into a five-part series because there's a lot of big things, but I think that what we talk about today is one of the biggest things that happy fathers know. And I'm not going to give it away till the very end, but what I want to share with you right now is that happy fathers know something about nothing. That's a compliment to some of you. (laughs) You have to think about that for a minute. Happy fathers know something about nothing. And by the end of the message, I want to show you that sometimes the happiest fathers know nothing. We'll get to that in a little bit. What I want to do first, to really contextualize this for everyone in the room and to also set the stage for what weight that fathers are called to carry, I want to open up to a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote that really went to great lengths when it comes to uh, explaining and illustrating what it means to follow Jesus in your life. I mean, you've got Jesus who gave you life with God, made you a child of God, and then Paul helped bridge that gap to say, here's what it means in your everyday life. And he gave one principle for all followers of Jesus, no matter who you are. He said, no matter who you are or what you do, this is for everyone. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we turn to this passage all the time for for marriages and for relationships. And in just a minute, we're going to focus in on fatherhood. But this is true of everyone. As you think about what Jesus did for you, really, he submitted himself for you. The Son of God submitted himself to be your servant, to be your slave, and he submitted himself to death, even death by crucifixion. That's something he did willingly out of love for you. And then Jesus says, if you want to reflect that love, if you want to honor me for what I have done, all you need to do is submit to one another as I have submitted to you. Put their interests first. Leverage your resources, your abilities, anything you have for the good of the person next to you. That's what it means to show reverence, to show worship for Jesus. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then when Paul makes this blanket principle that he gives to all Christians— he must be thinking, okay, they're really going to struggle with this one. This, is, this, this gets deep into every area and every relationship of a person's life. So after he writes verse 21 here, he kind of backs up and says, okay, here's what this means. He talks and he, he addresses wives. He says, wives, here's what it means to submit to one another. Um, as we'll see soon, he, he, he talks to husbands. He talks to fathers, he talks to slaves, he talks to children. And for all of those people, he takes this statement and he says, here's what it looks like. And here's the cost of submitting to one another. And so for today's purposes, I really want to focus in on fathers and the weight of what they've been called to do. Here's what Paul said to them. Husbands, you are to love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And by the way, that was a lot of love that he gave. Um, For me, as a husband, um, that can be a challenging thing to do. And especially when you have, when you're a father, then you've got additional things. And then you also have to love your wife as Christ loved the church, which basically what that means, you love your wife without condition. You love her 
when she isn't lovely. You love her when she isn't lovable. And this, this never happens to me, but you love her even when she's crabby. Thankfully, my, my wife is never, never crabby. And um, what, what this is telling you and me is that regardless of what she, who she is or what she's like, what mood she's in or how much sleep she's gotten, you are to unconditionally love her as Christ loved the church. If she's in a bad mood, that's not permission for you to mirror her mood. That is your calling to increase her mood, to fill her up, and to change her life. That is your role as the husband, and that is not a small calling for God to give to husbands. And then he goes on, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. If you care about yourself, your dreams, your desires, your future, your aspirations, set those aside because now there is someone else at an equal level. Love your wife just as you love yourself. She is to share that top priority in your life when it comes to the things you want for yourself or for your family. And especially if you're a father, that can be a hard thing to do, to set aside your career, your promotion, the place you could have moved to, because your family calling makes it clear you should stay where you're at. This is not a small thing to ask of fathers. And he goes on one more thing. He says, and in light of this great calling that God has given to husbands and to fathers, the wife must respect her husband. She must do that because when it comes to the great calling they've received, I'm going to trip over my cord, when it comes to the great calling that they've received, this is a small token of gratitude that they can receive in return. And this kind of reminds me, this is the way that men are really wired. Like, we will do anything. We'll fly to the moon and come back. And all we need to hear from our wife is, oh, honey, you're so awesome. And we'll do it again. Um, we are wired in such a way that if we have the respect of, of the people in our house, we'll do anything. In fact, I'd put it this way. If you're taking notes, number two on your sheet, respect is the response that fathers crave. We, maybe we're wired to crave it. Maybe it's just um, the way we are, but we are— desiring that response of respect for what, we, for what it is we do. And I want to make two quick points about that. Number one, wanting respect is not a bad thing to want because God commanded wives to respect their husbands. It's not a bad thing to want to be respected. The danger, as we're about to see, is when you make respect the motivation for what you do. And what's dangerous is when you make respect the pool from which you draw to do what you're called to do. Respect is a nice reflection of what you get to do, but it's dangerous when you make it the pool from which you draw the motivation to do what you do. And we'll talk more about that in just a second, but for now, respect is a fine thing to want, but it cannot be the thing driving your fatherhood, or whatever relation it might be that you have. And then maybe as the Apostle Paul is talking about, you know, wives and husbands, he's like, oh yeah, there's someone else in the household. Children. So children, listen up, listen up, lean in. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, not because you want to, not because it makes sense, but because it is right. Because it is right. And I want to pause right here and say that the children he's talking about are the ones sitting in the seats today. Yes. And in reality, all of us are or were children 
to parents at one time. And so by extension, there is some degree of truth, even if you're 50 years old, and if your parents are still alive, there is some degree of truth in this and what we're about to see. But Paul's going to make a very strong point here. You see, what makes fathers happy is when there's peace in the household. What makes fathers happy is when they're respected. What makes fathers happy is when people listen and things are under control. But what makes dads angry is when they're not respected and when obedience is more of an option. And so he leans in, he says, children, children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Not only is it right for your father to do what's best for him and for your mother, but Paul is about to make a point that this is actually, there's evidence that when you do this, it is not just good for your parents, but it is beneficial for you. And he's about to go back about, for him, 1,600 years or 1,500 years back to the ancient Israelites just as they were starting to be a nation. And as he goes back to that ancient history, he's looking back at when Moses received the commandments from God. We, we refer to it as the Old Covenant, where God gave his people some commands, some rules, and uh, the agreement was, if you guys keep these commands, you'll be my nation. You'll have a great kingdom, and it'll never end, as long as you keep my commands and my rules. So the, the lesson was this. If you listen to the rules I gave you, life will go well for you. The longer you keep the rules and commands I'm giving to the, the, this generation, the more generations that listen to them, it will go well. And that was kind of the, the, the promise behind that commandment. If you listen to your father and mother, if you honor your father and mother, it will go well with you and you will live long in this land. And uh, Paul quotes it this way. He says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment that has this promise or this guarantee stapled onto it. Honor your father and mother because when you do, there's a guaranteed result. It will go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Anyone else quote this to their kids ever? Honor your father and mother, and it will go well with you. There's some wisdom to that even to this day, even though we're not under this old covenant. The simple truth is parents know something. Parents have been there. One thing that we do as a church is that when uh, kids are ready to leave eighth grade, we we set up this meeting with uh, the student, the parents, and the pastor, and, and one other person and we kind of talk about things. And one thing I always ask the parents in that little interview is I say, if if you were able to go back to eighth grade and kind of change the way you think about things, what would you change? And the color leaves their face because there's so many things that if you could go back to eighth grade, you'd want to change. But uh, inevitably what happens as they start recalling the lessons they've learned in life, they turn to their child and say, I wish I wouldn't have let other people have so much control over me. I wish I would have been brave enough to go out and do more things. Or some say, I wish I would have had the, the, the freedom to not do so many things. Each parent, as they think about what they've learned, they, they share that with their kids to the point where it's a guarantee. If you listen to your parents, it's not your life might be better. It's they're trying to make your life better by what they teach you and what they share with you. And I think what can get in the way is, is simply this. When, when I, as a parent, try to teach my children things— I'm working with partial information. You know what that means? It means I know that my, let's example, let's say that one of my kids is having trouble with their friend at school and they're just not talking. And so I'd say, well, here's what you need to do. Here's what helped me when I was a kid. 
what the experience I have is lacking when it comes to actually helping my child because maybe there is a different issue at play or maybe it's the girl and I know nothing about girl relationships in school. And so my, my, my uh, experiences are kind of limited. But what we do know is this. God puts a promise, God puts a guarantee to this commandment. Honor your father. It will go well with you. Honor your father and mother and you will enjoy long life on the earth. They know something that they want to speak into you. And for me, maybe for some of you, when it comes to a father relationship or just someone whom you're speaking into in life, it can easily turn from where you're trying to help them by giving them some advice or some suggestions, but it then becomes this thing where you are burdening them with your suggestions or your advice. If you're a little bit older and if you've got older parents and they've they've been trying to speak into your life, some of you are like, they've really been burdening me (laughs) rather than helping me. And you're trying to navigate, well, what do I do with this? So here's what God says to fathers. He says, do not exasperate your children. I had to look that up. Exasperate means that you push your child to the point of frustration. It means you burden them with so much that they just want to give up. And isn't that a tricky line to figure out? Wanting to help them and parent them, but at the same time not dumping so much on them that they become exasperated. And again, this is part of the calling that God gives to fathers today. Teach them, but don't burden them. And then Paul follows up with two things that can help. Don't exasperate your children, but rather bring them up. Literally, it's like a nurturing thing. Uh, Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Training more deals with this on-the-spot discipline. Like you see something that is unhealthy, either in the short term or long term, and you as a father intervene to discipline the child away from that path. And then the instruction is more of a long-term thing where you see that maybe someday, maybe you're sending your child off to high school or to college, and you know that they haven't had to wrestle with some um, important life choices yet, and you say, there's something I want to share with you. Maybe someday you'll be in the situation where this is going to happen. In that moment, I just want you to remember this one truth. And so you as a father, you as a parent, want to instruct your child for what's in the future. So train them in the present. Instruct them for what's in the future. And for what I know about me and what I know about you is that you can only teach them what you yourself have learned. You can only teach them what you have learned. And sometimes, as a parent, this has come back to haunt me because I know I thought I had the kids figured out. I thought, I know I got this figured out. All you need to do is this and this. I can fix this and then be on with our lives. But I've quickly learned that what I learned maybe from my childhood, was not working for what's happening in theirs. You can only teach from what you've learned. And so, therefore, what we teach is often limited by our personal experiences. You as a parent can only 
train, you can only instruct according to what you have learned and according to what you have experienced. And this is why, quite frankly, some of us had parents who were crazy, or we thought they were crazy. Like they would not stop talking about this one area of life, and they just kept talking about it and talking about it. And you're like, why are they talking about this so much? Or there was this other area of life where they, did, they didn't talk about it because they didn't struggle with it. They didn't have issues with it. So they, they had no personal experiences to share with you. And now you're sitting as an adult and you're saying, well, why didn't they tell me about this? You see, we're, what we teach is often limited by our own personal experiences. And so for me, what's a good grounding question is just to pause sometimes and ask myself, how am I really doing? <laughs> Where am I lacking knowledge or experience that my, kid, my kids still need? Or another way to ask this question that's a little bit more dangerous, what's it like to be parented by me? What's it like to be in their shoes? What story will they be telling their kids someday or their kids' kids someday when they say, well, what was, what was great-great-grandpa Matt like? And they'll say, well, I'll tell you what, he did not like screen time. <laughs> What is it like to be parented by, by me? And if you're not a parent, you're not out of the woods. What's it like to parent me? Am I willing to be open to my parents, to let them speak into my life, to train me and to instruct me, and will I be humble enough to receive it? Let's go back to the verse quick. Ephesians 6. Fathers, don't exasperate your, your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The good news is, if you follow Jesus, there is no limit to your knowledge and there is no limit to your experience because the training and the, and the, and the instruction that you provide and offer to your kids is from the Lord. And that's the training and instruction that we all need so desperately because fathers in the room I don't know about you, I've messed it up a few times. There have been times where I stormed into a room and I screamed out some things to make it peaceful again, only to realize I should have been screaming at myself. <laughs> I should have paused and, and learned and figured things out before rushing to judgment. There are moms in the room. We just had Mother's Day, I won't pick on you. We need the training and instruction of the Lord. And the first thing we need to be trained and instructed in it's how it is we can get along. The relationship between father and child, mother and child, or person to person, is just a reflection of our relationship between us and God. I need to be forgiven. Hey kids, I'm sorry the other day. I totally screamed at you. I shouldn't have. Can you forgive me? I know God forgives me, but do you forgive me? Would you be humble enough to submit yourself to the teaching and instruction of the Lord by first modeling the forgiveness you need from the Lord. As Paul put it earlier in the, in the letter, in Ephesians chapter 5, he said, follow God's example. Because when you look at it, fathers, there is no example here on earth. If you try to be like your father, or if you try not to be like your father, it's not going to end up good either way. Um, Paul says, follow God's example. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And just one thing I want to um, lean into for all the fathers out there. You see, when you're a father, you may have to sacrifice a lot. You will sacrifice in at least small ways, sometimes big ways. 
You always give up something. Every generation has to sacrifice for the next generation. And some of you, maybe you're, you're further along in years, and maybe you've been building up an inheritance that one day you just want to give to your kids so that they can remember you and uh, live maybe better than you can. You give for your kids. You sacrifice for them. But when you follow God's example, you quickly realize nothing. You'd realize something about nothing. You see, happy fathers know that they're owed nothing. A happy father will recognize that his child could never repay all the sleepless nights, all the hard paychecks that just went straight towards the kid, all the things that they had to sacrifice for their career or their life, all the hobbies they had to place on the side. Happy fathers know that that was a sacrifice of love for their child, and that was a sacrifice for God to honor the kind of father that he has. And I'll tell you what, dads, when you enter into a relationship with your child with this in mind, that they owe you nothing, they will bend over backwards to show you that you've already given them everything. And they will return, reply in love with the respect that we so desperately crave and look for. So as we close today, let's close with prayer. Dear Father in heaven, as, as we think about what it's like to be your child and to call you our father, I pray that that would leak down, that that would disperse into every area and every corner of life, especially when it comes to the father relationships that we have in this world. Um, I pray for the fathers here, for the fathers everywhere, that you would give them a heart that's ready to love, whether that's disciplined love or tough love or just being their love, that they would be able to sacrifice and give all these things for their kids with a heart that's looking for nothing in return, just like you gave to us. And I pray that as they do this, you would fill them up with all the respect, all the love that they need to fulfill the big calling that you've called them to. I pray all these things in Jesus' name as we also join in the prayer he taught.